Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet know that Egypt is destroyed? So Moses and Aaron were brought again to Pharaoh. And he said to them, Go, serve the Lord your God. Oh, who are the ones that are going? And Moses said, We will go with our young and with our old, with our sons and with our daughters, with our flocks and with our herds we will go, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. Let us pray. Holy Father, we just sang it all the way. My Savior leads me. We just heard it. We will go with our young. On the Sabbath before the new year commences, please call us to follow the leader. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I hold here in my hands a book. See if you can see it on the screen there. A book I read this summer. Gift from my friend Glenn Russell. Can you see the title? Yeah. Souls in Transition. You might not be able to see the little subtitle there. Souls in Transition, The Religious and Spiritual Lives of Emerging Adults. The book is authored by Christian Smith. Just down the road from us, University of Notre Dame sociologist and the director of their Center for the Study of Religion and Society, co-authored with the associate uh, director of that center. Fascinating. Listen to this. this. This is really the report of a longitudinal study that the center has been making. A few years ago, they began with a... With 3,290 13- to 17-year-olds, all right? So teenagers. A few years ago, the book came out in 2005, the first report, uh, 2005. This is a follow-up report, 2009, because the 13- to 17-year-olds are now 18 to 23, the very age of students coming to Andrews University. Fascinating research and a single conclusion I, I wish to share with you in just a moment. But here's what uh, Christian Smith, our colleague to the south, here's what, he, here's what he does. So 3,290 interviews, but he decides to humanize the interviews, and he writes some narratives. He picks out some of, the, some of the teens who are now emerging adults. By the way, no longer the nomenclature young adult. It's emerging adult. He picks some of them, and in a chapter entitled Brad, June, and Amanda, he tells three of their stories. I want to focus on Amanda. Now, research protocol being what it is, Christian Smith has been very careful to not give any hint as to the denomination of the interviewee, if the interviewee even has a denomination. But I'm just curious if you might recognize what denomination Amanda belongs to. Let me just, uh, I'll just pick a few lines here. Amanda and I meet in a tourist town on the West Coast for lunch. We sit and talk at an outdoor table on a sunny deck overlooking the water, enjoying our salads, pizza, and conversation. 
It turns out that Amanda is quite involved in a small, very conservative evangelical denomination that, that encapsulates her life. That would be clue number one. Her father works on the staff of a high school academy run by her denomination. That would be clue number two. On whose grounds Amanda grew up and in which she was enrolled. Amanda is attending one of her denomination's colleges. She has recently traveled to Germany with one of her denomination's study abroad programs. The summer camp at which she is currently working is owned and run by her denomination. And here's number six. All of her family are involved in her church, and her friends are also all members of this denomination. Amanda is quite aware that she had lived a pretty sheltered and parochial life, a pretty small world, she admits. Clue six. So who is, it? Who is this Amanda? Amanda, by contrast, she, I'm skipping around here, she, she says she's something of a liberal relative to her denominational standards. And then she takes some time to explain how the denomination she belongs to says this, but she does this, and why? But he writes, reacting to her, when it comes to religious faith and practice generally, however, Amanda strikes me as anything but liberal. Most of her beliefs are quite conservative and central to her life. She tries to go to church regularly, whether at home, college, or camp. Sometimes at college, she goes to Vespers on Friday nights. Clue number seven. <laughs> the little button in front of you, you just push it when you know, and you get the gold in that suitcase. Oh, my, this is a no-brainer, isn't it? Yeah. She is adamant about no sex before marriage and has struck... Stuck to that in situations where many teens would not have. She, she reports that her most debilitating sin is losing her temper, which she knows is wrong. Amanda prays daily and reads her Bible a few times a week. She's experienced God's providence guiding her life and in some instances has heard God speaking to her. Now, there's four or five more pages. I'm not going to read them to you. I want you to listen to this emerging adult, not unlike those who inhabit Andrews University. I want you to listen to her theological summation. So he says, okay, tell me what you believe, teenager turning into a young adult. Here we go. First and foremost, quoting Amanda, now, I believe that there is a God who is all-powerful and all-knowing who created the whole universe. I believe what the Bible says about him. I believe that he is three and that there are three persons in God. Not really sure how to explain that, but the whole Trinity concept and that God sent His Son to die for us, every person, so that we could live forever. People who believe in Jesus accept Him as their Savior, and accept Him as their Savior will be saved. When people die, they go to sleep. That was your eighth clue. <laughs> but their bodies decay. When Jesus comes again the second time to bring justice to the universe, there will be a judgment. Everyone will be raised back from the dead. God will recreate the bodies of the saved and will destroy those who do not believe, extinguish totally. He will cleanse the earth. That's what I believe. How did Moses put it to wily Pharaoh? Put the words on the screen this time. We will go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, because we are to celebrate a festival to the Lord. We will go with our young. Fitting testimony for a university community gathered on this weekend before it all begins. We will go with our young. But here's the question. 
What does that mean? Our homily today is based on an Old Testament reading and a New Testament reading. I'm going to read them aloud to you. You may follow along. We're putting them back to back. And here's, here's the question. Can you spot, just reading and listening, can you spot a woven common thread? Can you make evident to yourself What's the common denominator between the Old Testament reading and the New Testament reading? Let's go. Pick a, take your Bible up, please, and let's go to the Old Testament. Let's go to the book of Exodus, where I just read from a moment ago. Exodus chapter 13. You didn't bring a Bible. I want you to see these two readings for the homily, back to back. Grab the Pew Bible. It will be page 47 in the Pew Bible. This is Exodus 13. All right, Exodus 13. A liberated nation of former slaves. Midnight deliverance has just happened hours ago. The story, when we, when, when we pick it up here, the children of Israel set free after massive divine displays of supernatural intervention. They're set free. Here we go. So this is uh, chapter 13. Pick it up. I'm in the New King James Version, verse 20. So they took their journey from Succoth and encamped in Etham at the edge of the wilderness. Verse 21. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud. By the way, we had ministerial retreat this week up in um, Asabo, our summer camp in Michigan. Coming back Tuesday night, I had the windows rolled down. It was just glorious, blue sky and a massive cumulus cloud towering to my east as I'm heading south. Orange, lit up with orange on its borders at that moment of uh, twilight. I've tried to imagine, what, what did this cloud look like by day, this pillar of cloud? Huge. It can't be just a little something on the distance. This thing is, this thing is massive. And the Lord, verse 21, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. You ever been to Houston, Texas? Ever seen those oil refineries there where they burn off the excess oil, the gas? And you have this torch, this massive orange flame that won't go out. You've seen those? Yeah. Pillar of fire by night. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so as to go by day and night. Verse 22, he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Forty years. Scholars have no idea when it was that that cloud disappeared. It could be when they stepped to put the toes in the River Jordan 40 years later. Cloud's gone. That symbol of the physical presence of God for 40 years. All right, that's the Old Testament reading. Let's go to the New Testament reading now. Let's go to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 10, page 681 in your Bible. Mark chapter 10. Not going to the Gospel of John right now because you know what? Two weeks from today, two weeks from today, we begin a journey through the Gospel of John that will take us an entire school year to get through. I just love what Japheth de Oliveira has, has put together for this campus. Every community of worship on this campus, dorm worships, co-ed worships, house of prayer, Pioneer Memorial Church, every worshiping community will be spending time in one of the four Gospels or the Book of Acts all through the school year. I think it will be a powerful focus for Andrews University. You come here two weeks from now, we begin the Gospel of John together. Title of the new series, The Last Word. The fourth gospel for a final generation. Begins in two weeks. This is Mark. Mark chapter 10, verse 32. Drop down to verse 32. Mark chapter 10. 
You're looking for a common thread. What's the thread? So we just had the Old Testament reading. Now the New Testament reading. Verse 32, now they, Jesus and the twelve, now they were on the road going up. All paths go up to Jerusalem. They were going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was going before them. And they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. Something about the steely, resolute glint of determination in Jesus' eyes, in the Master's eyes, the disciples see that fire and they are afraid. Where is He taking us now? Where is He leading us now? Now Jesus tells them, And, they, and as they followed, they were afraid. Now, keep reading. Then he took the twelve aside again, and he began to tell them the things that would happen to him in Jerusalem. Verse 33, Behold, Jesus speaking, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. And, verse 34, they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him, and the third day he will rise again. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Old Testament reading, New Testament reading, back to back. The towering cloud with the children of Israel on the road to Canaan. The steely Jesus with his 12 disciples on the road to Calvary. So what's the common denominator? The two readings, what's the common denominator? Call it out to me. What's the common denominator? What makes those two stories match? Presence of God, good. Journeying, good. By the way, two weeks from today when we start the new series, I'm going to tell the students who are here, not you, but the students who are here, bring your smartphones to church. Starting two weeks from today, they're going to be able to start texting the preacher in the middle of the sermon. And we're going to, we have a program now that will put the results right up on the screen here. So, we're going to get response. We're going to get response in this series. Let's put, the two, let's put two lines from these two, two, uh, two uh, narratives up on the screen, please. Exodus 13, 21, And the Lord went before them to lead the way. All right, we just read that a moment ago. Mark 10, 32, Jesus was going before them, and they followed. The NIV reads, leading the way, he was going before them. Look, the infrastructure of both narratives is exceedingly simple. Very simple. Put it on the screen. God led... They followed. That's the infrastructure. That's the inescapable point of the pillar of cloud and fire. That's the inescapable point of Jesus leading his followers straight to the cross, which is why, by the way, today we made sure that the Old Testament reading was coupled with the New Testament reading because the pillar of cloud story is God's promise that he will successfully lead his children all the way to the promised land. But the road to Jerusalem and death narrative is a reminder that the end result of following him is not always successful as we would define success. Sometimes following God will mean losing your life. As we learned this week with the tragic death on Wednesday of our Memphis Junior Academy principals, Suzette York, 49 years old, allegedly at the hands of one of her 17-year-old students, Seventh-day Adventist principal, National News. I mean, wasn't God leading her life? When Jesus says, Lo, I am with you always, that is not a promise of success, but rather that is the assurance of companionship in the midst of no success. I'm still with you. Some of you parents are dropping your precious, beloved to the care of Andrews University. We'll take good care of your children. Jesus will be with you and the children. 
doesn't guarantee anything. It just means he'll be with you. You have his companionship all the way. A reading from the Old Testament, a reading from the New Testament, and the simple truth is truly simple. God-led, put it on the screen again, God-led, and they followed. More or less, they followed. The implications for a Christian, for a Seventh-day Adventist university, are just as clear. God leads, we follow. But with the arrival in just a matter of hours of a new class of emerging adults, because that's what they're called now, emerging adults, what does that mean? What is this follow-the-leader instruction to mean for us? Let's explore that together. I had the privilege this summer, as I've already mentioned to you, after the Oregon camp meeting... And spending a few days with our daughter Chrissy and her husband Andrew, who, li- who, who live in a little town called Estacada, about 20 miles east of Portland, had the privilege of flying up to uh, Alaska and joining 98 other men in a men-only, out in the wilds, far from civilization, Alaska wilderness weekend retreat. These guys came up to me, by the way, afterwards, and they said, Dwight, we want to hear what you say the moment you get back in the pulpit. So I was really under pressure. I'm under pressure right now. You can't feel it, but I do because they're watching live streaming right now. (laughs) Four hours behind in Alaska. They sent out an email yesterday. Hey, guys, come on. This is the time. So hello to all of you in Alaska, you 98 brothers. Okay. Let me tell you something about Alaska. Alaska has to be able to boast. And I'm not preaching to the choir here. Alaska has to be able to boast one of the most spectacular skylines in these United States. Let me show you a picture. I took this out of the jet plane getting ready to land in Anchorage. That's the look from the, from the, uh, co- from the window. Wow. The, the, the wilderness is truly pristine. It is native, as you're going to see in a moment. And by the way, getting to this abandoned uh, gold mine, there's several ways you can get in. You can take an ATV, and a lot of them came in on ATVs. We'll talk about those next week. You can walk in. That's a long hike, by the way. Or you can fly in. Now, my host, Dan Watley, God bless him, he said, Dwight, when you come, I'm flying you in. I said, hey, no problem. I'm not really excited about small planes, you understand, but it's not a problem. I mean, I flew into Alaska Thursday afternoon. He meets me at the airport. He says, Dwight, we're going home to Palmer and Deanie. My wife has supper. And then after supper, we're flying out into the wilderness, you with me. Good. (laughs) Until I saw the plane we were flying in. Listen, folks, when I'm thinking plane, when I'm thinking plane, I'm thinking, you know, a wide-bodied Cessna where you sit right beside the pilot, anything happens to him, you got a stick, you're still halfway in control, plenty of room, wrong. Here's the picture of what he said we're flying into the wilderness in. Now, that is a beautiful picture of the green, it's a, it's a green grass to runway. You can't quite get the full effect of it, and that's, that's Paul, his friend's Piper Super Cub. Let me show you Dan, the man, the one who flew me. The next picture, please. That's, that's Dan, and that's a Super Cub. And the moment I walked up to that plane, I start in nanoseconds, I'm figuring this whole thing out. I can see that immediately. I'm not sitting beside any pilot at all. I'm going to be back can openered into a tiny little hatch where there's no room to even breathe. And I'm thinking to myself, this is true, I'm thinking, man, Dwight, you, you can't chicken out now. These are men. <laughs> you can't chicken out now. I can't say anything to Dan. Just suck it up. Just, you can do it. And I'm self-talking so fast, I can't keep up with my thoughts. I'm going to show you the cockpit. Uh, uh, yeah, here's the cockpit. Here's the passenger seat. 
Now that's it. There's no door. There's no window. There's a little window you can see out. You can't get out in an emergency. So I get in. Dan says, oh, don't step on that. Don't step on that wing. Come on, just get your leg over this. <laughs> so I throw my leg over. I finally get in. I'm, I'm beginning to hyperventilate. I get in. He says, all right, you got to put these two things on. You're strapped in for life now. And he's, then he gets in the front seat. He said, oh, by the way, I'm sorry to do this, but I need more leg room. I'm saying, this cannot be true. I'm flying in Alaska in one of these. And, I, and I'm telling you the truth. It's just kind of this weak voice. I'm embarrassed to admit this, but I just said, would there be any way that you and I will be able to talk while we're flying? I mean, I don't want to be back here alone, please. He said, oh, yeah, we got these headphones. Put them on. Make sure you get the microphone up. So, so there I am putting on this thing. <laughs> How happy do I look? <laughs> oh, my, I am telling you what. And by the way, Daniel said, okay, now everybody on board. Well, everybody on board. Who else is left? <laughs> I did see, this is true, when we were flying, I saw a little bee. There's room enough for a bee to get in. And this bee is flying over Dan's head. And I'm thinking to myself, if this bee bites the pilot... And he goes into anaphylactic shock. It's curtains. And you know what Dan says to stuff like that? He says, hey, listen, when you fly in a Piper Super Cup for the passenger, it's, if anything happens to the pilot, it's prepare to meet thy God. <laughs> I'm thinking that's kind of gallows humor. Just as you're getting, getting ready to take off in a plane you've never flown in with a pilot you've never known. Anyway, big old inflatable tires. Boom, 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 boom. Once the hyperventilation ended, I found my camera, took some pictures. This is beautiful. Look at these pictures, ladies and gentlemen. That's from three to 5,000 feet. We're just cruising, 70 miles an hour, 80, 90, whatever. Little Piper Super Cub. Flying through. Next picture, please. Everywhere you turn, there, there are peaks all around you. We're going out to where nobody lives. We're going out into the middle of nowhere. Ah, next picture, please. Look at that glacier. That's been, that glacier's been crawling South for centuries. There it is. We're seeing it in the distance. Next picture, please. Oh, you're surrounded. I mean, it's just everywhere you look. Next picture, please. Dan, finally, we're, we're, we're on this flight. And I'm taking pictures. Dan said, all right, now I see Caribou Creek. It's coming up. By the way, that's not my view. That's a camera held over Dan taking a picture. There's no way I can see that. But there's Caribou Creek coming up. All right, next picture, please. We have to come over those trees and somehow get down on that short little landing strip before it ends. Those planes are coming down like this, choo-choo. You know, 10, 11, 12 planes flying from all over Alaska. It was an incredible experience. So, hallelujah, we're on the ground. Next morning, Dan says, hey, listen. Hey, listen, let's go fly fishing. What do you say? I says, great, let's go. We've got a river right here. He says, no, 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 we're getting back into planes. We're going to fly 30 minutes further into nowhere. I know the perfect fishing hole fly fishing. I finally figured out why they call it fly fishing. You fly to get there. <laughs> so here's a picture. Here's a picture of the four of us. Two Piper Cubs are going up. Jim, Jim Ayer, Adventist World uh, Radio is the guy on the far right. We're the passengers in the back. That's Paul and Danny, the two pilots. And we take off. And guys, I tell you what, look at the pictures. We're just flying out into nowhere. Next picture, please. It's just, that's a cloud shadow up there, a pond down below. We're flying in between. The next picture, please. It's just, do you see the shadow of the plane right there? Dan says, hey, look, I think, I think we're finally at that river. There's a bend. Oh, there's that fishing hole. And boy, he just throws that thing into a dive and a bang, coming around. Next picture, please. 
There's that plane. The guys behind us coming now. They're just having to land on this gravel beside a riverbed. And the next picture, final picture. Oh, boy, look at that. No human being within hours. And there we are. Unbelievable. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, here's the life lesson I learned from Alaska. It's a divine leadership lesson, and oh God, do not let me forget this lesson. It goes like this. The kingdom of heaven is like unto a piper super cub where God is in front and you are behind. Switch places in your dead meat. That's the kingdom of heaven for you. Because you see, it works like this. He leads, you follow. He sees what's ahead, Trust me, you don't. He pilots, you trust. He suddenly dives into a bank, you pray. (laughs) He knows the terrain. He's been over the terrain before. You have not. He has you. You have him. And that's why when you're flying with the best bush pilot in Alaska, as they told me later, you don't have to worry what's ahead. You just follow the leader. Follow the leader. The kingdom of heaven is likened to a piper super cub. Put it on the screen. You must follow the leader. If he leads from a cloud like he did with Israel, you follow. If he leads through a cloud, you follow the leader. If he flies toward Calvary, you follow the leader. If he flies into death, you follow the leader. He leads, you follow. So follow the leader. That's the life lesson. We remember that. We can, we can weather any storm ahead. You're a freshman here. You can weather any storm ahead if you'll follow the leader. And it's our mission to help you follow the leader. We've been over the terrain before. You're going to have to crawl into the seat behind us. Follow the leader. And that may very well be the most important life lesson we can teach the emerging adults who will soon come to us. Let me now return to a fascinating conclusion from Christian Smith's longitudinal research. Now listen to this. This is incredible. In tracking these 3,000-plus teenagers now turning into emerging adults, they discovered that, listen, a teen's retention of the religious experience or growth of that religious experience is dependent upon, I'm going to put it on the screen for you, religious non-parental adults. Memorize that phrase because that's who you are. Religious non-parental adults. In other words, teachers. In other words, dormitory deans. In other words... Secretaries, in other words, the grounds department, in other words, professors, in other words, administrators, in other words, Sabbath school teachers, in other words, club leaders, in other words, pastors, religious, non-parental adults. That's us. Listen to this. I put Smith's words on the screen. Even for teens who come from a non-highly religious home, as some of them will, Teenagers whose parents are not highly religious may nevertheless be able to become highly religious emerging adults, but in order to overcome that parental deficit... Now, hold on to your pew. Here we go. They must have supportive religious non-parental adults in their lives, harbor no doubts about their faith, and pray and read Scripture a lot. That's what they're going to need. But did you catch that? Smith's point, two points here. Smith's point is that it's possible for a teenager to become among, and I'm quoting him now, among the most highly religious emerging adults without having parents 
who were highly religious, if his, if her life includes religious non-parental adults who will support the, now te the teen now emerging as an adult, who will support that emerging adult in the pursuit of the way of Christ. If you have a non-parental, a religious non-parental, a supportive religious non-parental adult, you can take total, total deficit, turn it around. That's how critical you are. Smith goes on. One more quote from him. The more relationships in their religious congregations, and by the way, the university can be considered a congregation. We are a spiritual community. Pioneer is a congregation as well. The more relationships in their religious congregations that teenagers enjoy with non-parental adults whose social statuses are superior to their own. In other words, someone they look up to. Listen, anybody, it doesn't matter what you do for a living. If you're older, they're going to look up to you. Superior social status. The more relationships these teens who are emerging as adults now can have with you, the more likely they will, they will be to experience involvement in their congregations as enjoyable and rewarding. Now, this is, this is for the faculty now, those of us that teach these uh, students. I put it in italics. They stand a greater chance of actually looking forward to going to rather than simply getting through religious services, read chapel services, read worships, somehow hanging around a, a supportive religious non-parental adult who also attends chapel does something for them. But, well, this is great. He's here. She's here. The commingling with supportive religious non-parental adults in places of worship immediately brands it in that young mind. This, this is important. Well, Dwight, I've got to get ready for the next class. I don't go to chapel. Don't you understand? I don't have to. Ah, absenting yourself from community worship negates your influence on the young life that would just love, oh, she's here. Well, I feel pretty important. He goes, she goes, I'm here. Maybe we would have a whole lot less complaining about required chapel attendance if we all went. Isn't that amazing? That's from a sociologist here at Notre Dame University. Keep reading. They are more likely to be drawn into more of the religious activities of the congregation. They are also, keep reading, more likely to shift their involvements in their religious congregations closer to the center instead of out on the periphery of their social lives overall. In other words, as they interact with you in, in worship settings, they're pulling their religious life closer and closer to the center. Why? Because you validated your presence, your value of religious life yourself. They see it and they keep pulling. Right? I'm not so peripheral. This is a part of my life. And in fact, those who have no religion in their homes are drawn right into the center through supportive, religious, non-parental adults. Isn't that amazing? One more line here. Some may even wish, oh, this is why Pioneer focuses, by the way, I'm talking to the congregation here, this is why we focus on our hedgehog. Some may even wish once they are older, this, this generation focus. Once they are older, to reproduce the positive experiences they had as teenagers with other teenagers younger than them. That's the hope. You leave here, you've been involved here, you go out, I want to I work with these others younger than me. Wow. The kingdom of heaven is like unto a piper super cub. Follow. Follow the leader. 
Here's how the Apostle Paul expresses this critical life lesson that was impressed upon me in Alaska. Let me put it, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. You follow me. You follow me. I follow the capital L leader. I follow the capital L leader. You follow me. I follow him. You'll be okay, sister. Brother, you will be okay. Follow me as I follow him. For that reason, Pioneer began last year a new adopt-a-student ministry in which Pioneer families volunteered to be assigned a handful of undergraduates to adopt, quote-unquote, to invite to a Friday night supper, to invite to a Sabbath dinner, to invite to Saturday night with popcorn and games. Why? Because now we've got empirical uh, evidence. Supportive, religious, non-parental adults are significant factors in leading an emerging adult to embrace that value for herself, for himself, for the rest of life. That's why. Isn't that something? By the way, Karen and I adopted five students. We are so blessed. Last Sabbath, just bumped into one of them here, and he said, hey, are, are we still going to be your students this next year? Absolutely. Out in Arizona camp meeting, one of, those, one of our adoptees was there. She said, hey, Pastor, how you doing? You coming back? I said to her, oh, yeah, I'll be back. We've been praying for them this summer. Supportive, religious, nonparental adults. Listen, you might have tried it last year and you said, ah, I don't know. Well, you can go for a whole new batch. We're going to keep ours, but you can go for a new batch. You say, I didn't try it last year. I wanted to see how it works. Hey, we'll try it now. I'm telling you, it works. And now we know that it's not only because it works, it's because it's influential. The, the, the power of the influence of, the, of those who make Andrews University the great university that it is. Incre- that's what struck me, the incredible power of the influence and now we know it's determinant in their future relationship with Christ. The power of your influence on this campus. Faculty, I'm in awe of that. Every day you get to be in that proximity. Follow me. How's it go? Follow me as I follow the leader. Compassionate teachers, caring professors. By the way, I want to look into the camera right now because there's some of you who are not on a university campus at all and you're saying, well, this isn't for me. No, 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 no. Supportive, religious, non-parental Adults, that's you. You're serving in a Pathfinder club. You're working in a little Sabbath school class. Anywhere your life intersects with these emerging adults, you are a key. You don't have to be at a university to make a difference. You make it anywhere you are. Follow the leader. Follow the leader. Let's put it on the screen. Follow the leader. Isn't that what Moses told Pharaoh? We must follow the leader. Not just our adults, but our emerging adults as well, and our teenagers and our children. We will go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, for we must follow the leader. It is fitting that on the Sabbath before they arrive, we dedicate ourselves to follow this leader who himself was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He followed the leader. We must follow the leader. And so, it seems right for you and me to make a commitment together. I'd like to invite you, whether you teach in the public sector, and by the way, we have some great teachers in the public sector who are a part of this congregation. Whether you teach in the public sector or the private sector, Ruth Murdoch Elementary School, Andrews Academy, Andrews University, if you have been placed by God in one of those sectors to interface with lives younger than your own, and you wish to join me in saying, God, I want to follow the leader. I dedicate my life to you, and then you please use me as a 
non-parental adult to make a difference, I'd like to invite you to come forward. We're going to sing a hymn, and we've changed the wording of the hymn, so it's a, it is a collective prayer. While we're singing the hymn, just come forward. You work at any of these institutions, any, all three of these campuses. You work off campus. By the way, you work with the young when they're here at Pioneer. You work with the young when they're here at Pioneer. I wish you'd come forward as well. Our, our university president is going to lead us, you know, Eric Andreasen, lead us in a prayer of dedication at the end of this hymn. So come on forward. We're going to put the words, Guide me, guide us, O thou great Jehovah. Sing it right off the screen. Our Father in heaven, you have graciously invited us to your house, this university chapel, and we have come gladly to hear you speak to us and to answer you. 
Lord, we hear you clearly. For you created us. We are born of you in your image as your children with powers to hear you and speak with you, with the ability to think with you about this big, complicated world of yours and all the people within it. But Lord, so often we have thought hastily and carelessly. We have thought mostly about ourselves, a little about others, and even less about you. Forgive us, Lord, for turning our thoughts away from you when you think so well of us. So catch our attention, Lord, once again. Capture our minds and make us once again one with you, your very own people. And now, Lord, we have brought our students here. They are your younger children. They are coming back to campus. They are also our spiritual and intellectual children, even as we are yours. So today, Lord, we rededicate our lives, our talents, our thoughts, our intellects to the task of teaching and guiding our students. Lord, help us to speak clearly and truthfully to them. Inspire them to think with us as we think with you. Hold us all captive to your eternal truth, Lord. As you have made us in your very own image, with powers to think and speak and understand, so, Lord, allow us to help recreate your image in our students this year. Lord, to this sacred work of recreation, we dedicate ourselves to you and you today in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.